Hope emerges in the places you least expect to find it. And that's where what we see happening right here in Genesis 3, verses 20 and 21. Here we are at the end of Genesis 3. Remember, quick summary. Genesis 1, God's glorious creation. Genesis chapter 2, the relational joy of creation, the enjoyment of what God has created, the enjoyment of the man and woman in their relationship with God, in their relationship with creation, in their relationship with one another. Then ring the gong, chapter 3. The tragic fall of humanity into sin after their rebellion against a good and gracious God. And the disastrous consequences of Adam's sin, Adam and Eve's sin, can't be overemphasized, resulting in the fall of mankind, the beginning of every kind of sin, the beginning of every kind of suffering, the beginning of every kind of pain, as well as physical and spiritual death for the human race. Does it get any worse than this? But it's right here where we find hope. You don't really, really know that God is all you need until God is all you got. Let's read the text and pray. It's only two short verses. Genesis 3, verses 20 and 21. We're picking up where Jairus left off, where God was sharing with Adam and Eve the consequences of their rebellion against him. As soon as God was done, this is what Moses tells us happened. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. So what I'm trying to, this is what we got to wrestle with. What in the world do those verses have to do with anything I just said? And how do we find hope? in these verses. It's here. you got to dig for it. The Bible yields treasure to those who are willing to dig. Hope. If you look it up in the dictionary, you find something like this. Confident expectation in a positive outcome. That's a good working definition for hope. A confident expectation in a positive outcome. Or you might also say, uh, patiently waiting on a promise. Those are two working definitions of hope. So hope, defined, and even biblically defined, has this aspect of confidence to it, and it has this aspect of patience to it. Hope includes confidence. It includes patience. When we look at our Bible, and we want to define hope for the Christian, this is the way I'll define it. Hope is the confident expectation that God is going to come through for you. 
That's what hope is. It's a confident expectation that God is going to come through for you. And what I want to show you from each of these verses that we see two activities taking place. Verse 20, the man calls his wife Eve. And then verse 21, the Lord God makes skins for them. I want to show you how both of these are connected to the hope we have as Christians. Hope is two things. Hope is confident expectation in God's word and confident expectation in God's work. Confident expectation in God's word, confident expectation in God's work. So number one, hope is confident expectation in God's word. You say, Kenny, how do you get that from the man calling his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living? I'm going to show you. At first glance, there's something unsettling about the man calling his wife's name Eve. Like, what? why does he get to name her? God... God named him, what's, what's going on here? It can feel kind of demeaning. You know, Adam was tasked with naming all the animals, right? It's like he gets to name Eve too. What's going on here? Well, first let's say that the man called his wife's name Eve. So... That was Adam's name for his wife, but not God's name for his wife. Adam called her that. We call them Adam and Eve in the story, and we've been calling them Adam and Eve all along, but this is the first time we ever heard the name Eve. We haven't heard it in chapter 1. We didn't hear it in chapter 2. Here we have it in chapter 3, and it's Adam giving her the name. It's interesting, in chapter 5, we see... Verse 2, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them. This is kind of weird. Man. That, that, that's the name that he gave to them. Male and female, he created them, he blessed them, and named them man, which is translated Adam. So go home and think on that. Both of their names are Adam which is kind of weird. But what God is getting at there is there was this name for humanity, a name for man, for humanity. So then, let's ask a question. Why, after the fall, does Adam call her Eve? And it's not Adam contradicting God. It's not Adam changing her name on his own authority. It's actually not even a giving of a name. It's actually the giving of a title. Eve means life. Life giver. Or we would say mother. Mother of all living. Because she was the mother of all living. Living. Now, here's a problem. 
Eve's not a mother. Not even pregnant. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So she's not a mother. She's not even pregnant. So why, Adam, at this moment, this, this disastrous moment where you have sinned against God and are now going to suffer the consequences of that, why in the world is Moses tell us that the first thing he did was call his wife's name Eve? The answer is in the context. There's only one answer to the question. It comes from the context. It comes from Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall, I like this translation better, crush his, he shall crush the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent is going to bruise his heel. The verse mentions the woman's offspring crushing the head of the serpent. Now, I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment. You know God came looking for them. They hid. We're not going to replay the whole story. They've, they've been caught. And God calls everyone to account, beginning with the serpent. Now, I want you to see here what happened to the serpent by remembering that he was cursed. Only two things cursed, the ground and the serpent. And so here we are, Adam and Eve, standing there waiting for what's going to happen to us for our rebellion against God. Because this is what happened to the serpent, Nachash, which translates the shining one, which tells us that whatever he was, he wasn't after he left. The shining one, this serpent, God deals with him first, and he sends him away on his belly, crawling into the bushes. So if you're Adam and Eve, and God turns to you, what's going to happen? What is he going to do to us? If that's what he did to the serpent, what's he going to do to us? What's coming to us? And God speaks to them deliberately hopeful words. Eve is going to give birth to a deliverer, a savior. The idea that they were going to have children was significant. It means that I'm not going to die. So when Adam and Eve, when Adam named his wife Eve without her even being pregnant, it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith that testified to his belief that even in this darkest moment, God has made a promise and he's going to keep his promise and there's a deliverer that's going to come and I have hope. Hope is a confident expectation in God's word and it's expressed by faith. It's a confident expectation in the word of God, in the character of God, in the promise of God, and it's expressed by 
faith. And Genesis 3.20 is not the only place we see this. In chapter 4, we know that Eve gets pregnant and brings forth a son called Cain. We see it right here. Now, Adam knew his, his, Eve, his wife, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. They thought Cain was Jesus. That's why they named him Cain. Brought forth. We might say it like this. I got him. Here he is. They thought they brought forth a deliverer. They actually brought forth a murderer. But what I'm trying to help you see here is that Adam naming her Eve and Eve naming him Cain showed great faith in God to keep his promises. Hope is this confident expectation, church, that God is going to come through for you. A confident expectation that no matter what you're going through, if God can take care of your greatest problem, which is your rebellion against him, and a salvation that only he can provide, if he can do that, then he can be trusted to see you through whatever suffering he's brought into your life. Adam and Eve had this confident expectation in God's word, and it was expressed through their faith. They staked their hope on the promise of God. They staked their hope on the word of God. How about you? How about us? Listen, there's all kinds of places to put our false hope. I mean, we could make a list, right? Let's start off with the obvious ones. Money. It's a bad place to put your ultimate hope. Relationships. Botox injections. American politics. Health and wellness. World peace. <laughs> Episodes of Leave it to Beaver. Medicine. More effective time management. AI. Supreme Court justices. The overturning of Roe v. Wade. Children fulfilling your desires and your expectations at every point and in every way. Are those, did I say those things are wrong? No. What I said is they're not a place to put your ultimate hope. Amen? So here's the tensions I feel, and it gets back to what I was sharing earlier, is do we really know that? Do we really know that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? I think about stories like the widow's might. Remember the story where the widow comes and there's all these people that are putting a lot of money into the, to the treasury baskets. That's a lot of us, right? That's a lot. We can put money in. We have money. We give money. 
But, but the one that Jesus calls out in the illustration is the woman who is a widow who has absolutely nothing. And what little she has, she dumps into the offering plate. If I were next to her, I would say, don't do that. Just give one. But Jesus calls out her, her response as that thing worth emulating. Why? Because Jesus is saying, she's banking on me completely. She's, she's truly living out. Jesus plus nothing. Here we go. Nothing but Jesus. And I have everything. But there's a lot of people identifying as Christians who can put in thousands and thousands of dollars in the offering plate, but can't actually say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see what I'm getting at, church? we got to wrestle with these things. Will you wrestle with me over these things? Can you? So here's what we got to ask ourselves. Because this kind of stuff creates tension in my soul. I look at my life, and I have to ask myself, do I have confident expect? Am I confidently expectant in God's word? Am I banking on that, or am I banking on a lot of other things? See, trial when trial comes, fiery furnaces reveal who your true God is and who all your false gods are. But we we don't want that. This is why I look at people. I was just texting with uh, Ben Hartzell this morning, 14 hours time difference. I don't know what time it was when he texted me, but I got a text from him in the middle of the night. I look at them and I think, man, these are people that we've sent out. Southeast Asia, they've sacrificed so much, guys, because there's this passion to make disciples, to see disciples made. And I look at their lives and I'm humbled, guys. I'm humbled. And I'm not saying that, that everybody has to do that. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm humbled by their example. A willingness to say, here it is, Lord, you have it all. And I just believe that God wants to do a work in, in some of us. That we would get to that place where we could say, even if it comes down to nothing, Lord, if I have you, I got everything. And I really believe it. Can you or your friends point to examples from your life where it looks like real hope in God expressed through faith. That's what we're asking. It doesn't mean you, have to be, you don't have to go be a missionary. What you have to do is be able to point to your life. Can someone that knows you well point to your life and say, that looks to me like an example of confident expectation in God's word expressed through an act of faith. That's what we should be asking ourselves. That's what we should go home and ask. Ask yourself in your journal, can I give any examples of this? So we're talking about hope. Hope is a confident expectation that God is going to come through for you. Hope is a confident expectation in God's word, and it's expressed through faith. Let me just hit this last point before we take communion. Just give me a few minutes to make this last point. The last point is this. So I'm making two points. Second point is this. Hope is confident expectation in God's work. In God's work. And the work that I'm talking about is what we find in verse 21. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So let's just hit some ideas here. First of all, you know they were wearing something before God made skins for them. The title of this morning's sermon is When Fig Leaves Were in Fashion. There was a time when fig leaves were in fashion. Didn't last long. But hope is this confident expectation in God's work. And the work that I'm referring to is the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. And that symbolizes something. And what it symbolizes is justification. So, First off, we need to see there was a need for clothing. The nakedness that they experienced after rebelling against God was not only physical, but psychological. Sin results in this now uh, a standing in a wrong relationship with God and others, and even with themselves. They have guilty consciences. They feel exposed. Does anybody in here know what that feels like? We're doing, I'm taking a, a, a few men through an elder training course right now. And we just got started. And one of the questions that we just wrote, answered was, um, it was something like this. It was like, what, uh, what about your life would you not want anyone in the church to know? Ooh. They had to write it down. <laughs> But it's not for distribution. <laughs> but we were talking about it. So I was sharing mine. They were sharing theirs. But you know, guys, that's like getting real, right? I'll ask it to you. What would you say is going on in your life that you do not want projected on the screens? Everybody's got an answer for that. Everybody has an answer for that. And the feeling that that gives is a feeling of being exposed. This is why we fear God. This is why we're afraid of God, because God sees through the fig leaves. God sees through the mask. God sees through our efforts to cover ourselves up to make ourselves look good. You see, I could linger on this point for days. But they, they felt the feeling that they had before God was intolerable. Like, I can't stand the psychological exposure that I'm feeling. I feel naked. So what did they do? They tried to cover it up. They took the biggest leaves they could find, fig leaves, and fashioned something together to wear. And then when God confronted them, what did they do? They evaded. They blame shifted. They ran away. They made excuses. And lastly, they even tried to blame God for it. And people do the same today. Everybody in here, you're good at making fig leaves for clothing. We use clothes and other means for masks, but the underlying desire is to appear as something that you are not. We try to hide our shame and put on a front before others. You know what I'm talking about? I hope church isn't that for you. It 
It is for some of us, some of the time. We put on our fig leaves, which is we put on our church clothes. And we show up as if everything's all together. Everything's all right. We've got it together. We're just here to help everybody who doesn't. That's, that's not gospel culture. Gospel culture is I can come here and I can be real because the blood of Jesus has covered my sins. So there was this need for clothing. We see that exposed. But we also see the inadequacy of fig leaves. The things we use as coverings are fig leaves. It's good works. It's like, I'm going to take care of this. I feel naked. I feel ashamed. So I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fashion some fig leaves. What it's saying is I want to be accepted by God on the basis of the things that I do, on the basis of my ability to cover myself, on the basis of my good works. And it's not that good works are without value. They have value, especially from a human point of view. It's just they're no good from God's point of view because they don't deal with the basic problem. Good works are like Monopoly money. It's good for the game of Monopoly, but sadly, it's no good in the real world. Do you remember when you came to that realization? You ever win a game of Monopoly and just wish I could go over to the bank and pass it, pass it in, turn it in? We got, we got family members. We got ruthless Monopoly players at our house. And I'm sure they wish that they could turn that Monopoly money into real money. Can you imagine showing up the bank with a half a million dollars in Monopoly money and passing it forward, writing out the deposit slip, and passing it to the teller, and then the police getting called? <laughs> See, good... So, Monopoly money's good in the game of Monopoly. It's not good in the real world. Good works may make you acceptable before other people, but it doesn't work in gaining an acceptable standing before God. You feel me? God sees behind our mask. You say, I beat my addiction, Lord. Fig leaves. You say, I got a good job. Fig leaves. You say, I, have a, I worked hard. I got a good education. Fig leaves. I work hard. I read my Bible. I go to church. I lead a small group. I give blood. I give to the missionaries. It's all fig leaves. If you're using it to try to deal with the nakedness of your sin. So we see we got this need for clothing. We see the inadequacy of fig leaves. And then God does something. He provides skins. So God must provide for their spiritual nakedness. That's what verse 21 says. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It doesn't say what animal was used. But clearly it's skins. I'll take a guess. I'll bet, but I don't know. I'll bet it was probably lambs. Whatever the case, God killed some animals, made clothes from them to cover their sins, and then he clothed Adam and Eve after taking their inadequate fig leaves off of them. What's that? It's death for life, church. In order for Adam and Eve to be clothed in the skins of animals, somebody got to die. 
in order for us to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is what those skins symbolize, Jesus had to die. Hebrews 9.22 Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So it's necessary for the innocent one to die in order that the guilty can live. You see it. You see it. It's not going to be hard to celebrate communion after verse 21. Two thoughts running through Adam and Eve's head. One is horror. The skins of an animal. It killed an animal and skinned it. Two, a deep growing wonder at the mercy of God. Because that should have been their skins. It should have been that. They should have died for their wrongdoing. Why does this animal die in its place? On this occasion, God is showing that it's possible for one animal, an innocent substitute, to die for an individual. So one, it took one animal for Adam to be clothed. It took one animal for Eve to be clothed. Later on, though, in Exodus, the Passover, we see the killing of a lamb and the spreading of its blood on the doorpost. And what's that do? It spares the whole family. One lamb, an entire family. But then later on in the Old Testament, we read about the Day of Atonement. What's the Day of Atonement? One lamb to cover the sins of the nation. Then John the Baptist comes along, baptizes Jesus, and says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of what, church? The world. Two religions in the world. Fig leaf religion and religion of skins. Fig leaf, works. Skins, grace. One is the religion of man. One is the religion of God. Fig leaves may look beautiful to others, but they're ugly to God. If you've been coming to God with fig leaves, and we all want to do that, even if we say, no, I won't use mostly fig leaves, just a little bit of fig leaves. I just want to contribute a little bit. God says, no, you got to throw them aside and accept the clothing that God offers you in Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed what in church? Dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand hope it's a confident expectation that god's going to come through for you do you have hope Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us now, even as we celebrate communion, which depicts for us so clearly the grace you've provided in Jesus as the one who atones for our sins and makes a relationship with you now a possibility. Lord, I pray that you would give us hope. Help us to be a people who are confidently expectant in your word and in your work, and that we would truly be able to say that Jesus plus nothing really equals everything. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. guests who are with us for the first time. I'm Jason, one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to observe communion now, and pastorally, I just want to invite you, if you are a Christian, you believed in Jesus' death on the cross for your sins, forgiveness of your sins, and his resurrection for your acceptance with God, then by all means, join us in taking communion. If you would say, though, that that's not me, that's not how I would describe myself. I'm coming, I'm trying to figure out what Christianity is, I'm, I'm here today, I'm listening, but I'm not a Christian, then just allow these elements to pass before you because you would say you're not a Christian and this is a meal for Christians. But track with me here because we want you to be able to take this meal in faith before God. I don't like uncomfortable moments in sermons. And I especially don't like them when it's like a corporate uncomfortability. And today that happened when Kenny pointed to the screen and invited us to imagine that thing that's in our life that we would not want broadcast before everybody here. That was a very uncomfortable moment. And we all have a lot of different places that we can run with that feeling that we all had. Lots of different avenues we can go down. But God only gives us one avenue. Many paths away from God, only one path to God. And today, instead of all of us leaving here and trying to go to all those places, let's together go to the one place. Let's go to Jesus because that's where we find the true and lasting removal of all our guilt, all our shame. And so with this symbol of your body, Jesus, in our hands, we return to those moments or that moment this morning when 
there was a, a prick in our soul like, oh, yeah, that. I would not want that to be broadcast. You know that. You see that. You're aware of that. And Jesus, you died for that. And so as we take this bread now, we take it in faith, believing that our guilt and our shame, the punishment we deserve for our sin, fell upon you. And we preach this good news that because Christ died, I might live. Let's take the bread together. Lord, here today, we together answer the question that Kenny gave. Can I point to anything in my life, any expression in my life by faith that I'm taking you at your word? This is us doing that. This is an expression of faith that your word says that by the shedding of the blood of Christ, we can have forgiveness. We have forgiveness of sins through his blood. That's what your word says. So here's where we point, Lord. We point to this expression of faith that we trust you. We take you at your word and you're going to come through for us. Because Jesus shed his blood, all our sins are wiped away. And so we drink the cup together in faith. Let's drink it now. Let's return to worshiping our great Savior and King, Jesus.
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white. Sing it again. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. This is true. <laughs> Praise God, this is true. It's great to worship with you this morning. Remember a couple weeks ago I shared we're having a meeting today about a playground project we're going to do. And so if you are signed up for that, please join me and Bethany back in room 207. For the rest of us, here's today's benediction. Living, he loved us. Dying, he saved us. Buried, he carried our sins far away. Rising, he justified us freely forever. And one day, church, one day he's coming again. Go in grace. We'll see you next Sunday.